Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wealth Tech Show, CityWire's podcast devoted to the technology that is changing the way we invest and manage our finances. This week, I'm joined by two fantastic guests, Anton Padmasiri and Sri Krishnansen from Wealth OS. Uh, Anton, Sri, firstly, welcome to the Wealth Tech Show. How, how are you getting on today, guys? Thank you very much. Uh, getting on really, really well. And I, I hear it's your birthday, Ian. So uh, <laughs> it is. Happy birthday to you from Wealth OS and, uh, and the entire team. How are Thank you? Thank you. I actually kept this one quiet. So, Anton, I was, when I turned 30 <laughs> at CityWire, my, my colleagues bought me an inflatable Zimmer frame. And every birthday since I've gone really quiet. I'm 34 now, so I, I might I might be needed the real one soon. So I... uh, it's coming in handy soon, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But look, great to have you here. And uh, and Shri, obviously, you've you you politely deferred to Anton for that question, but it's great to have you here too. Um, look, we're going to go into a range of topics. We've got lots to discuss. Um, but first, I, I want to talk a, a little about what you do at Wealth OS because you're a relatively new player to the market. Um, my understanding is that you offer a, a cloud-native operating system for digital wealth management, and I, I just want to strip that back a little bit because that's that's a bit of a mouthful. And if, if you're a techie, it makes perfect sense. If you're less tech savvy, perhaps less so. So, so what what does that mean in practice, and, and what are you doing to improve life for wealth managers? And, and Shri, can I start with you? Sure thing, Ian. Um, so yeah, you're right. Cloud cloud native operating system for digital wealth management is is is, is definitely a mouthful, but um, I'd love to be able to break that down. Really, what we're trying to do is be the infrastructure provider, the backbone for digital wealth products, such as your digital investing application, your digital retirement application, or your digital savings application. Um, and by the backbones and infrastructure, it's looking after all the technology, the processes, and the infrastructure needed to run these types of products. And so the cloud native at the front just um, implies and, and, and explains that we're doing this natively in a cloud environment. So we're fully exploiting all the benefits that you're getting from being in a public cloud. So um, infinite elasticity, um, infinite scalability, and also using some of the really cool technology that comes with cloud infrastructure, um, like is you know serverless compute, which um, I'm sure you know and Anton will be able to, to explain better than me. Uh, but yeah, we're essentially leveraging all the benefits of the public cloud to bring you the latest technology and infrastructure to run your digital wealth management products. Brilliant, and and that to me always just means that you're utilizing what's out there, the the, the massive technology infrastructure that exists so that you don't have to build it yourself. You don't have to have all that in-house. Um, Anton, is there anything you would add to, to what Shree said there? So Ian, think, think back to the last 10, 15 years and, and think about how our lives, the way we kind of go about our lives has changed in terms of booking a hotel to booking a flight to calling a taxi. Think about how kind of the digital, uh, kind of the digital transformation in the economy has changed our lives. And think about you know, you know whether whether that has happened sufficiently enough in the in the investment investing and the wealth space. Now I come from having been a product manager in the wealth space for kind of working for companies like Fidelity and Smart Pension, and you know one of the you know for, for me one of the key things is that um, there is friction in the existing technology stack that prevents financial services in general, this applies to insurance banking as well, but wealth management as well, that prevents that level of digital transformation from happening at a rapid pace. And then I want to emphasize at the rapid pace, 
The reason why the Ubers and the Airbnbs of this world have been really successful is they've had a chance to get to market fast, experiment and refine and keep acquiring customers. Now, you know, if you look at wealth management in the last 10 years, all startups who've come to the market now leaving aside the philosophy of whether they can acquire enough assets in the short term, if you think just about that digital experience and their value proposition has been natively tech-based and, you know, uh, they've leveraged uh, technologies like cloud and APIs to be able to come to market really fast. So, you know, and, 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 for me, the thing is everything should have a problem. It, you know, cloud native is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. Serverless is a means to an end, not the end itself. And where we are coming from at WealthOS is understanding there are inherent frictions that exist in the wealth, wealth tech stack at the moment that prevents organizations from experimenting and getting products out to market fast. Therefore, there isn't enough digital transformation happening. So what we want to do is leverage these great advancements in technology and make available to organizations so that they can have the agility, the speed, and the experience and the propositional enhancement that we so much need in the wealth space. Yeah, Anton, that's a really, really good point. And I like how you've compared it to mass market tech propositions, because there is a difference, isn't there, between getting something out to the general public and then breaking into the, the competitive and somewhat exclusive world of wealth. Uh, you know, from your experience, because you're coming at this as a new company, how, how have you tackled that challenge? How are you getting into people's you know, offices and having those conversations with them to let them know that you're doing something new and a bit different? And, and are people receptive to that? Sure. I think, uh, I think, I think Sri will have, have, a, have a lot to add here. But uh, first off, people are receptive. When, when I set off with my co-founders, Chamata and Chamindra, to you know, kind of think about Wealth OS and, and build this platform, one of the first things we, we did, and as, as you, as, a, as, as a, a good product manager will always do is kind of all, all, always validate your thesis. So we built a, a proof of concept and inside of COVID, we took it around the kind of the virtual streets of London and New York. We spoke to organizations and said, look, there is this problem that we know of, we've experienced it. Um, we think getting good digital wealth products to market is you know, kind of uh, you know, handicapped by slightly older technology, a lot of legacy technology, and we are thinking of building this. And, and the, the problem statement has been validated over and over again. And that's why we've come the distance we've come. There is significant validation in the market of the, of the issues with existing tech and, and legacy technology. Now, there is a difference from people validating that to kind of making it a successful, commercially successful product. And, and Sri will touch on, on that, but people have been receptive. People have been, you know, with, we, I think it's resonated with people as to the need to move faster, the risk of losing assets to competitors who move faster. And, and they, they see the activity that's going on in the market with large banks acquiring Kind of you know new you know new wealth apps and new robo advisors, um, and and they they always see a threat around the around the corner that if they don't keep up if they don't keep keep enhancing their proposition enhancing their customer experience that they might actually lose market share. So absolutely resonating, and I think we are having some incredibly rich conversations 
with organizations, big, medium size and small in order to help them. And we think that uh, you know, the proposition, the, the proposition our thesis um, is, is one that, uh, that will help them you know, tr digitally transform fast. Mm -hmm. And if I can jump in with a, a fairly tough question at this point, you're having good conversations, but are people ready to take the plunge on something new? Sheree, let's, let's have that one from you. Sure thing. Um, so that's a, a, a yeah, great, great difficult question. <laughs> um, in terms of the actual traction, it varies with the sales cycle, right? I think what's happening right now is um, the industry has been in about financial services in general, about the last 10, 15 years, been on a real kick with digital transformation. So depending on who you speak to at which point, um, it's either we've just caught the end of a digital transformation journey and people have put in technology now that may have just finished a 10-year project of being put in place and already it's out of date. So it's kind of like, how do we go about upgrading this? Um, and then we've just had 10 years of doing it. Oh, do we have the appetite and the resources to go about it as well? So I think it's, it's an interesting time um, for people to take the plunge. And what we find is those who are kind of like digitally native and kind of embraced this maybe 10, 15 years ago, and we're looking at digital transformation as an ongoing journey. It's not something that's a one and done. They're very much ready to, to, to embrace us and, and, and we're having much further conversations um, with them. Um, those who kind of thought, oh, I've done digital transformation, so why am I doing it again? Um, it's a little bit more of a educational, bringing them along a journey to understand that you know, infrastructure evolves. And what you want now is a provider that actually evolves infrastructure for you and, and, and not you having to constantly keep up to date and, 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 and switch providers over time. So it's a, kind of a very um, a mixed answer there. Like, yes, um, I think there are quite a few really um, forward-looking organizations ready to take the plunge, but there's also a lot of organizations completing their digital transformation journey or just recently done really large organizations. And so it's, a bit of a bandwidth now for them where like, you know, do they have the time to consider this? Do they want that to bed in place and then and then have the conversation? But one thing for sure is people understand what we're doing and it's it, it, it's never a no. It's just a, ah, the timing, guys, you know, please yeah. come back or please contact us um, in, you know, X number of months time. Yeah, Shree, if I can jump in there, does that not cause some frustration? Because the idea that digital, you know, digital transformation is a a one-off thing or something that you do every two or three years must be mildly frustrating to hear. It is, it in is. In some is. respects, because you wouldn't do it with anything else, would you? You wouldn't say, I'd fix my investment proposition, I'm not touching that for two years. You know, surely these, you know, would, would you not urge people to be ongoing in their approach to tech? Oh, totally. Like our, so our approach, uh, whether whether it's, it's it's the way that we, we speak to people, but also just the way we've architected our systems is, you know, technology is something that is evolving and you need to have someone look after that and evolve it uh, with the time. So you want to create the infrastructure that, that makes that possible, not something that, you know, you, you, you get a package, you install it on your servers on premise, and then you just wait till the next one comes along. Um, that's, that's, that's hardly a very tactile way of, of, of keeping up to date. Um, so yeah, no, it is, it, it is definitely frustrating to see people think it's a one and done, um, especially when you don't have that approach with lots of other parts of um, consumer demand in general, like consumers are constantly evolving what they want. So how can you expect technology to be the same um, as what you put in place 10 years ago, even five years ago? Um, I know a couple of very large organizations who've actually had to bring back uh, retired employees to service systems because there's no one left 
who know the coding language in the um, in, in the labor force to come and like update that. And so their their solutions were okay. We'll just get like some retirees to come in um, and 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 like maintain that. And what happens when they don't want to come in anymore, uh, or or they want to retire? Then you go through a digital transformation, but then you hope that the new stack is just going to be fine again. Or are you just kicking the can down the road? It's about actually looking at transformation as this is an ongoing journey. And then let's put in place the blueprints and the architecture that actually allows us to continuously adapt and iterate. Uh, a lot of people are talking about in the business buzzwords such as, you know, Web3 or cryptocurrency, distributed ledger technology. Those are great buzzwords, but if you don't have a core infrastructure that can handle that, then you're just going to be playing catch up. So right now, most core infrastructure can't even handle that. So you're going to have to A, upgrade to, to get to that point, at which point there'll be new technologies to, to play with that your backend can't can't cope with either. So it's this constant chase. But if you instead looked at it at, what do I need to have the, the points, the ports, the um, infrastructure that can adapt and um, embrace whatever new technology comes, then you're going to be in a much better position and you will embrace it as an ongoing journey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's look at your situation here. Although, Anton, are you going to jump in there? You want I, was just gonna, I was just going to very quickly jump in, Ian, just to mm-hmm. add a point there. I think the, the era of 10, five-year tech programs is over, right? I think we are in, a, we are in an era, as, as you both have alluded to, continuous improvement, you know, continuous change is the kind of the theme of the game. Because, um, you know, and actually, whether, whether a single monolithic behemoth of a you know, technology infrastructure platform is going to power an entire organization is, is also up, up for question. Technology has moved on so much with SaaS and the likes of public cloud. Composability of modular capabilities, you know, best of class solutions that can be put in, taken away very quickly, cobbled together very quickly, is going to be the, the way in which experimentation and iteration and enhancements are going to happen. Um, I mean, it, it's actually an oxymoron to think about, you know, transformation, five-year transformation, you know, because things move so fast. You know, look at us just 10 years, 11 years from the iPhone. I mean, uh, the way our lives have changed. So actually, you know, you're talking about five, 10 years as major eras of technology enhancement. And and I think the the way to think about it is continuous improvement. And the way we think about technology at WealthOS is exactly the same way, is not to be the, the behemoth of a solution for every problem, it's how do we solve each problem very quickly and how do we be a part of an ecosystem of solutions? And, and take us back to, to Jargon Corner, because we're never far away from that in this, in this line of work. You were talking about constant upgrades and things changing all the time. And that's very much what we've come to expect from consumer facing technology, isn't it? Now, there's a, a lovely piece of jargon, which is orchestration. Uh, and my understanding is that in wealth tech means you know, automation of the management configuration and coordination of computer systems and software. And I assume that means everything just updates as you go along without the person using the software having to actually do anything. Is that is that broadly right? It depends on the type of orchestration you're talking about, Ian. There is orchestration in multiple layers of your technology stack. Um, there is kind of infrastructure orchestration. So how do servers spin up? Um, and, and so on and so forth, whether that's automated. But there, when we talk about automation in this context, we are talking about application automation or orchestration. How do different systems come together in a logical sequence to make 
business flows happen. It's the business logic. So it's it's the digital way of saying there is an application form where you can give your client data, your payment data, your account opening details, and where you're investing your money. How do you take that application form in a PDF, convert that into a single workflow that has a bunch of sequential activities, logical activities that need to happen? So orchestration, or I mean, if you think about an orchestra, it's the timing, it's dependency management. So that's the exact same thing we are talking about: is orchestration of applications. Gotcha. And uh, apologies to anyone listening, and you can hear the motorbike in the background. I'm not in the studio today, and, and someone near me is, I think, struggling with their masculinity a little bit around here. Um, so, so yeah, sorry if you can hear that. Um, really good point though around uh, orchestration and, and, and all of that. I want to get out of this kind of slight quagmire of of jargon and again go back to the idea that you know you guys are new players challenging uh, the market with something new i often talk about the tech ecosystem and i think it's such an important thing i think we need to support innovation that's one of the things i like to do on this podcast i think anyone listening in will realize that i've given you a, a long time to talk about your product today which i don't usually allow so much but i think it's different when you've got people who are coming in and doing something different and something new i think it's really important to give you a chance to talk about that what i'd like to know is from your perspective what can be done to to make the the environment and the marketplace more encouraging and, and welcoming for innovators such as yourselves that's a that's a great question um so i guess we we are not silicon valley yet but london and and the uk is is actually punching above its weight when it comes to fintech i think we've done a lot of great stuff a lot of great companies uh, have been born uh, born out of the uk in the in the in the fintech space and there's a because of the presence of financial services the the huge presence of financial services in london and 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 in the uk uk broadly there's a number of people who, are, who have a front row view to what problems exist in financial services today. And these are all of these people are potential entrepreneurs. They, they could think about, okay, listen, I, I work in asset management, I work in this team, and I know this doesn't work. And you know, if only you know, this, you know, if only we could do it this way. Now that's a that's a potential idea with a with a potential commercial uh, commercial legs to it. So I think it's a matter of um, does the environment encourage folks who think like that to get out and take the plunge, take a take a risk, and say, actually, I want to try and solve this problem in this particular vertical in in financial services. And now I did that. I, I definitely saw a gap in the market in the in the wealth management infrastructure space. Um, it is risky. It is extremely scary, especially. If you're trying to start up at the life stage the way I'm doing with kind of mortgages to pay, children to send to school, so on and so forth. But also it's, uh, it's quite um, exhilarating and, and actually making the investment environment more palatable and, and making capital available, including from, from kind of state, 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 you know, from state funding. Now we see in the European Union, um, the the programs like the Horizon program, which has almost committed ninety eight billion dollars, ninety eight billion euros, to to encouraging startups. Now we do have the the re, you know the Innovate UK funding, but these can be a little bit uh, bureaucratic to get funding. So if the capital, the investment environment can be a little bit easier to get access from, 
I think there will be a lot more, uh, lot more folks taking risks to kind of make a make a uh, make a go at kind of solving some of these problems and actually eventually making UK a great um, you know great destination for for fintech for sure and which which it already is, and I think we have to also kind of pay tribute to a lot of good things that's happening. We have organizations like the Tech Nation. We have the we have things like Barclays Rice program. There's a lot of accelerator, the NatWest accelerator. Uh, we have a number. We have a growing ecosystem, and I think I heard somebody say yesterday actually that UK has attracted more capital, if I'm not mistaken, has attracted more capital in in fintech or in in tech than actually uh, potentially or fintech maybe. France, Germany, and Israel combined. So there, there are really good things happening. But what you see in the US, why there are so many startups is the availability, capi- availability of capital and availability of opportunity to try things is a lot more. To the, the, the environment is a lot more conducive to taking risks. So I think UK needs to just keep doing what it's doing and accelerating. And I think, I think we will see across all financial services verticals and hopefully in wealth management, pensions, and investments, the same level of um, kind of innovation and experimentation going on. Thanks, Anton. I, I want to go back into your personal story, but but first, obviously, we're we're enjoying a week where the UK's got a new prime minister. So, what what do you think you know a Liz Truss administration needs to do to support the fintech ecosystem that we have here, which, as you point out, is actually doing doing very well. Yeah, and and I think um, we have seen uh, the the Khalifa review come out. Um, the Khalifa review was commissioned by Rishi Sunak uh, when he was chancellor, and the Treasury has the full backing. Um, and in fact, actually, I got an opportunity to um, kind of uh, go to one of the inaugural workshopping events where they are setting up the Center for uh, Finance, Innovation, and Technology, um, and. Uh, obviously, kind of uh, Liz Truss and, and her incoming chancellor should give the full backing to that program and ensure that that is seen through. Um, and, and, you know, really, you know, we, you know big bets. So, so back some big bets, ensure that there is support given because that's a huge export market. At the end of the day, UK has an opportunity to export to the world the next generation of financial technology. Um, and at the end of the day, exports from the UK is what's going to grow us as a country, uh, you know, and, and being an export market is hugely important. So I think, you know, Liz Truss um, and, and her incoming chancellor and the team and the opposition, all of them need to back these initiatives where innovation, entrepreneurship is encouraged. And obviously there is, I mean, without giving straight out money, but there is state backing and almost state underwriting for big organizations to trust incoming entrepreneurs, you know, the, the new ideas. Techn- you know, if you think about a traditional model, trusting a company like WealthOS for a big bank is risky. Yes, understand, you're new, you, you know, your balance sheet could be, a, a, you know, very thin compared to big, big players. But how do you let organizations like WealthOS get into the, how do you underwrite it for, for large organizations? How do you encourage whether it is through the tax code or, or any other any other lever lever, how do you encourage um, you know large organizations to give you know upcoming organizations a chance? I think I think there's a, there's a huge amount of potential, 
and um, and and as I said, it's a, you know it's not just the government. It's a you know it's it's, a, it's a across the political divide. Uh, people need to kind of back that because at the end of the day, we have to become that export economy, and fintech is a great great segment to do that. Yeah, and and I really appreciate you sharing your own story about you know leaving your your job to create something new that you believed in. I think that requires. It was, it's a gutsy move, isn't it? It takes a lot of conviction in what you're doing. Um, so you, you hit it well first since the start. And Shri, you've joined, am I right in saying a year or two years after the founding of the company? Uh, I joined this May. So yeah, right. I guess two years after the, the legal incorporation, yeah. Gotcha. And and I think the question, again, Shri, I will bring you in properly soon. But Anton, I just want to dwell on your story. I, I kind of want to know what gave you that that belief that this is something that you had to do. As you say, mortgage, children, I no doubt a well-paid and good job, you know, it's, it's, it's a big move. So what, what made you believe that this was the thing to do? So you call it gutsy, the wife calls it crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> not, not sure about who's right, but, but listen. I, think, I would say your wife. <laughs> um, so I, I've always been a kind of a, I, I've always been an impatient person. I, I think incremental, incremental progress has never been, Good enough. I've also liked. I mean, I, I love technology. I think, although I'm not a technologist, uh, from a very young age, I've kept in touch with all emerging technologies. I, you know, I remember my father's first uh, Toshiba lap, satellite tap, lap, laptop in 1995. Uh, I managed to hack through to a system to play Prince of Persia. I don't know. Uh, you you might be young to remember pixelated Prince of Persia. <laughs> But but so so I've always been I've always been fascinated by technology and actually you know when working at Fidelity although I come from a kind of a pension subject matter expertise background you know m- one of the things that I really enjoyed is working with technologists business people to envisage what great customer experiences great products might look like and building them and I you know I found I had a passion for it and I think I had a had a skill to bring people together to really be agile and and envision a, a product and and you know build build that product. So and and my career also is like you know every time it starts to feel like that I'm too comfortable, I feel a bit slightly claustrophobic. So I try to move on to do the next challenging thing. So I mean, obviously, the time I spent at Fidelity and working very closely with these kind of some of the kind of the uh, kind of, some some of the tech stacks gave me a lot of insights and my interest in technology told me that, listen, there is a, you know, technology is evolving. There is newer ways of doing this so that you can create the end result a lot faster, a lot cheaper. And, you know, that thesis has been borne out elsewhere because WealthOS is not doing something completely outrageously new. We are basically just catching up with a lot of other industries like e-commerce. You know, Shopify has built a cloud native e-commerce platform, Mambu and Thought Machine have built cloud native banking platforms. We are just kind of coming up and we, we knew that, you know, I knew that actually this as a concept has been proven in other verticals and this could happen. And, you know, and, and you know, combining that hypothesis with my kind of, and, and I have to give a lot of credit to Chamath, my co-founder, and I'm really, really pleased that, uh, that Chamath um, is in my team and Shamindra. So the three of us, our ability to bring a team together, motivate them, 
let them showcase their talent and organize this team to kind of uh, bring to kind of you know bring to life this vision of a new age uh, kind of wealth management technology infrastructure platform and that drove me right okay risks all the risks aside that 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 just you know even right now it's really kind of uh, you know it, it gives me about it gives me a buzz that that we are doing it right now are there risks absolutely but have we done it in a way that we have increased the probability of success absolutely is success guaranteed no but i think in every step of the way i have no regrets in the first place and i'm loving the team that we've built who's making us look really good uh, but you know so many learnings so pleased that we did that it's just you know you know couldn't this is the kind of experience you couldn't get in 10 years of working for a for an organization so it's 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 the drive but uh, but no thoroughly enjoyed it again wife calls me crazy <laughs> well thank you and on the subject of, of making you look good i i feel sorry for the listeners that can't see what i'm seeing but shree has the most fantastic shirt on today i've got to say you brought some real real color to <laughs> to this event um, shree, i need to bring you in now uh, obviously anton's passion for the project is yeah and what you're building is is it's evident there's no denying that what is it that made you want to join the wealth os project you know what were you doing before and what made you think this is something that i need to be part of sure yeah so what drives me personally and this is um how i very much started my career at a very young age was i really wanted to help people with their everyday financial problems and at first i thought of going right up the value chain and i i worked in the investing uh, is that right up or right at the it's at one end of the value chain was was helping to invest people's retirement savings because i thought that's where i can make a real a real big difference and and then just over the sort of 13 years or so in financial services i i've tried being in different areas wealth management i've tried being on the um consulting side the investing side and then more latterly was actually when i moved to the product side and also actually the biggest problem here is 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 not who's investing the assets and how they're doing it some great people doing some great work there but actually the bigger problem was just people don't have access um to financial systems and that's a huge game changer to 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 how a person's life is um and and there's some countries where it's just impossible like if you have 5 pounds 10 pounds or even if you saved up thousands you just have nowhere to invest it there are certain countries where it's just so difficult to be even able to access something like savings or investments let alone retirement savings and so i i i went to the product side to see like you know what can we build and how can we like broaden access and a lot of the innovations i kept finding were on the the side of engaging consumers um and and just you know trying to improve the customer experience make it a bit easier to sign up um you know robo advice trying to commoditize things and and just improve like the the ability to engage with the customer but didn't necessarily broaden out access um and a lot of the reasons um i kept finding was infrastructure so we'd want to build something um like you know a micro investing solution or something and then oftentimes like the the cost per head doesn't work or the economics doesn't work the system can't cater such a small account size or can't cater for that market and this that and the other um so i was, I was almost resigned to believe that that's just how it is like like these are the leading players these the, the, you know the leading technologies and, and and it can't go any further um so i kind of met anton um in a in one of my previous um employers where he told me he was leaving to do this and so i was actually one of of the very tiny small uh friends and family investors and so um the way and uh, anton described it as 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 you probably heard like there's a lot of faith that this man will get this done and so um i had exposure to wealth the west very early on and then i was like 
okay, these guys are actually, you know, doing what they say. Um, and I think I finally found a solution to the problem. It's, it's infrastructure. Um, and the infrastructure is, is so, is, is so dilapidated and antiquated at times that it just needs a bit of a, a kick in modernization. And um, what I loved is, is just the way Anton was approaching it was like, how do we make wealth management accessible to, to everyone? How do we lower the barrier of entry for new players? Um, one of the things that we're really passionate about um, is trying to get um, new community-based solutions to market. So, you know, can the communities of the North create uh, an investment app that, that really meets the needs of, of different communities there, rather than us trying to come up with one product fits everyone and, and shove it down like different consumer segments. Um, so the only way to, to, in order to invite new innovators and, and new community-based solutions is, is to make it easy for everyone to experiment. We launched our sandbox recently completely free that allows anyone to come in and create fully functional prototypes of their, their, their big wealth idea at no cost. Um, so yeah, seeing all of these ideas that Anton had and seeing them come to fruition, I was like, well, I, I, I can't miss the chance. And uh, that's how I got involved. Brilliant. And that's really good to hear. And I, I like, again, what you're talking about, bring, making the barriers to entry far lower and bringing, you know, wealth technology to more people. I think there's such an opportunity there. There's one thing I also I want, I want to tap into, which is what Anton was saying earlier about how you're learning from other industries, learning from other types of technology. It's, I've always got the impression that wealth tech specifically is, is quite siloed and doesn't necessarily keep pace with everything else. Uh, from your experience, Sri, where do you think that we need to be getting inspiration from if we're to bring wealth tech truly into 2022 and beyond? Sure thing. It's, it's, it's really interesting. My first um, experience at wealth management was when I, I dabbled in the consulting side almost a decade ago. And digital then meant how do we take the leather bound portfolios and then make that accessible online in a PDF or on a tablet? <laughs> that was that was that was what digitization meant. Really outside this, do you know why? It's, it's the inside looking in. It's just like, so here's what we do right now. Here's the process our clients want. And then how do we put that in a digital interface? But it, it, it really requires us to think, okay, that's the current generation of wealth management users. What's the future generation? What's the potential if, if, if we even just broke the barrier of your typical wealth management user and, and then widened it? And then what are those users experiencing right now with the other touch points in their life? So the whole idea of outsiders um, coming in or, or outsiders looking in, you know, it, it goes all the way from actually, let's just bring people who've architected different systems. So, you know, when you work with someone who's architected, say, stock exchanges, et cetera, they bring in a level of security and rigor to the infrastructure build process that's going to be very different. When you bring in people who've worked on the product side, and so, for example, like my background, trying to launch um, technology-enabled products and services for the consumer savings investment market, but just kept on having barriers with the back-end technology, when you bring someone like me into the equation, I'm able to kind of say, look, from a practitioner perspective, these are the things that we want to build, but we can't because the, the, the tech doesn't work. And so you have a much more well-rounded and robust back-end system to be able to, to build. But, but thinking about, yeah, where should we be looking outwards um, in terms of inspiration? So customers are getting some amazing experiences now in loads of different areas of their life. Like, let's think about food delivery. If I want to get my groceries right now, I don't even have to set, I don't even have to move two inches away other than to take my phone and then click a couple buttons and that's going to arrive. Um, and if I want, I can also have my savings rounded up from that transaction. I can do banking, I can do shopping, all from just my phone, right? So those that's, that's, that's pretty disruptive. But if I wanted to take that money and like, I don't know, put it into a pension, 
no, no chance right now, right? Too small an amount, can't do rappers, whatever, blah, blah, there's all these issues. So you need to be thinking about tomorrow's generation of wealth management users are Gen Zs, millennials, huge wealth transfer happening. I'm not going to go over the kind of demographic trends. We all, we all come familiar with it. And your show has covered it so well in previous episodes too. What are those users experiencing and how easy is it for them to interact and do things? And then how can we meet them where they are and capture um, the wealth that ensues from that? So, you know, everything from how people can easily buy things in, in games now, you know, um, how can we help them interact with finances in, in, in a similar way? Um, I always cite my experiences in Asia. I'm, um, I'm from Southeast Asia and I visit quite often to see family. You have entirely new players in the financial market that have come from very left field industries. So food delivery. One of the leading um, food delivery and rideshare providers in that market has gone into consumer finance. Why? Because they had started with rideshare, then they started with e-wallets to top up your rideshare and then food delivery. And what they realized is there was balances sitting there. Why don't those balances get invested? So they've suddenly gone into consumer finance. And then to retaliate, the um, local markets, um, online banking, um, leading online on, um online banking provider has gone into food delivery because they're like, we're losing a share of wallet because people are putting it in their e-wallets. So you have all these like cross-pollinations happening in Asia, which is a fascinating market of these huge super apps building up with lots of non-financial players coming into finance. And now you have a retaliation of financial players going into those, those other consumer segments. So I'd say, look out at what is making a really good impact in consumers' lives and where are they interfacing, how are they interfacing, and how can we bring those learnings into, into wealth management? Brilliant. And I want to take one last turn with this podcast, one other conversational topic. And it's, it's quite an important one. We discussed it beforehand in our email exchange. Um, and we were talking about the importance of uh, diversity and inclusion within wealth tech. Now, I, I realise that WealthOS, you're based across London and uh, Colombo and uh, Sri Lanka. So you, you benefit to some extent already from, from different perspectives. Now, you know, what, why is it that you think that that diversity and inclusion and having a different perspective perhaps gives you an advantage when it comes to the wealth market. So I, I can I, I, um, I can jump in on this one. Um, and I look at it from a perspective of everything from, from age, different backgrounds, different industries, very similar to the outsider looking in perspective, right? Um, when you understand the difficulties and the backgrounds that you're from, um, like you mentioned, we're spread over London, Sri Lanka. There are, you know, in, in Sri Lanka, it's it's difficult to sometimes invest, again, your savings as easily as here. You've got like roundup transactions, et cetera. But in Sri Lanka, you don't. Our engineers are from a, a background of understanding what limitations there are, and we're here to fix that with our infrastructure, right? So you automatically have a different alignment of interest because you don't take anything for granted. You look at the problem at hand is how can we make investing easier, having understood the market I'm operating in and how difficult that is. So you, you you bring that perspective versus like, you know, someone who's in an established market completely understands the idea of things like roundups and automatic payments, et cetera. You kind of take for granted how things were done and you might approach it from a perspective of this is how it's done. This is how we code it now. Whereas you're looking from a solution from a completely different perspective. Um, it does it does make it richer and you always have accessibility at mind as well um, because you're thinking about how can we make the technology as, a, as operationally efficient and are scalable and allows new entrants to come in. So I think I think that's something that a lot of our workforce brings in. We also have an entirely um, younger <laughs> cohort of um, engineers than I say I've encountered in previous in previous companies, and we you know we're capturing a lot of people straight out of university, and it's 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 been great to see just like 
they're almost taking us on a collective upskilling journey of looking at technology different from both embracing different ways of how to code to embracing new technologies to, to wanting to explore different ways of, of solutionizing. The problems are the same, right? So with the infrastructure, there's, you know, overarching the functions that our technology needs to do, like help people take payments, customer onboarding, et cetera. But then you put it into the hands of someone who's like wide-eyed looking at all these different technologies and trying to figure out how to solve the problem in, 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 in a new way. I mean, like, why wouldn't you want that as a technology house to have the, the, the best, brightest minds and also different perspectives to look at it? Yeah, I think that's really valuable because whenever you talk about inclusion, diversity, all that kind of stuff, there's always this this fear that it's going to be some wishy-washy, just like let's let's be nice, virtue signaling, or whatever. And on the flip side, there's always someone that's going to want to bash that. But I think the real the real thing is that different perspectives are good, aren't they? And and hearing things from people who aren't you is always going to give you a a broader Absolutely. perspective. Um, yeah. Do you think it's been quite an important thing to get those you know those perspectives for, for wealth OS? And can you think of a time actually to give it some some actual meat and to put you on the spot a little bit. Can you think of a specific moment when those, you know, that diversity of background has, has actually helped you improve the product? Well, so let me jump in here. I think it's it's hugely important. I think the broader point is, you know, inclusion and, and diversity has many layers to it. it, it it's got some very visible layers, but there are huge amount you know, cognitive diversity. You don't even and talk about that kind of stuff, but huge amount of layers to diversity and inclusion. Why is it important? It's 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 important not because it's a wishy-washy or thing. It's it's important for growth. It, it's important for development. It's important for wealth creation, right? I mean, if if you think back to a time, and actually think back not too long ago, when when women didn't have the same opportunities, and women still don't have the same opportunities, you're not using half of brain power, brain compute power of, of the world population. You're not. So what does that do to global growth if you're not using half the resources available in, in compute in, in a brain, right? So, so the, the first thing is that it's, it's economic, economically imperative. Inclusion and diversity is economically imperative and forcing that is every organization's, um, you know, every organization's duty, for, if not for any reason, that reason alone. But in terms of you know uh, having having outlooks, different outlooks, how it's important. If you take some of uh, some of our colleagues over in over in Sri Lanka, they might not speak the most fluent English, but as technologists, what they are great at doing is they can leverage translation capabilities. Now, what does that mean for our, our technology stack? You know, if they can you know you utilize translation technologies. To, to build build our platform where you know the operations team looking at a, a admin UI can actually view it in their own language that means why can't we introduce that and take that across across not just across the world let's say that we have a we have a team in the UK who is a who's a SIP administration team but they want to view it in the own, their own language the the, the hub the, the the dashboard that they're working on they want to just go and say actually show it to me in Hindi or show it to me in, in kind of any other language, Swahili, right? And imagine being able to do that. Would, would you, if you didn't have diversity, if you had a single point of view, would, do you think that that, be, that might even cross your mind? So I think it's, it's not intentional. You can't force diversity, but it, it really encourages uh, different ways of thinking. And actually that, that way you include 
And by through that inclusion, you're having a bigger, bigger kind of a cohort of people kind of putting their kind of mind to doing things that that collectively we can grow. And, and that's why a lot of the divisive talk anywhere is so counterproductive. It's because actually more people you can bring, you know, and, and Sri talks about taking experiences to people where they are. And this is it. This is how you do it. And, uh, and that's why diversity and inclusion is so, so important for us. Brilliant. And I, I've got to say, the translation stuff is really interesting to me because I've, I've not been in a situation recently where I've needed to rely on translation software. That's possibly something to do with the pandemic and lockdown. Um, does this technology work well now? Because the last time I tried using translation software, it was, it was, it was quite patchy. Do you, do you find it to be quite good for running a, an international business? I think, I think um, we, we have made, I mean, there the people have made huge, huge leaps on translation because there is no longer direct translation of languages. So much so we now have um, translation technology. Actually, even Google's translation link is what you call a neural network. If I'm not mistaken, it, 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 it can do not, it doesn't do literal translation. It can do contextual translation. So if I had an idiom in English, that could potentially be translated into the relevant, you know, parable in, in, a, in a different language. So I think we've come huge distances and actually, I mean, we are not grounding, breaking any ground. I think a lot of organizations are building, building in kind of translatability of their platforms. Even Google Chrome has built in capability to translate overseas uh, language websites directly to English. And, and if you take, take, take any of those, um, I mean, you, you take, I mean, so, I, so where I come from in, in Sri Lanka originally, the main languages are Tamil and, and Sinhalese, and actually the level of translation capability has improved multifold. Um, so, so I think there is, there is great, great advancement made thanks to kind of neural networks, uh, artificial intelligence, um, and machine learning, and, and so on and so forth. Brilliant. And look, I think that's pretty much us. But I always allow people a chance to have a parting shot. If there's anything they want to say to listeners of the Wealth Tech Show, um, you're both grinning. So I'm hoping this is good. Not to put you on the spot too much, but but Shri, if you can go first, any any final thoughts or anything you you know any thoughts you'd like to share with people you know relating to what we've just discussed? I think if you're looking to launch um, or you're looking to upgrade or you're looking to to build the best possible digital wealth management product and one that's future-proof to cater for, for as much of the market as possible. Think about the technology you need to do that. Think about the, the viability, robustness, and its ongoing suitability and its ability to evolve. And after hearing this podcast, I'm hoping you'd think of us <laughs> for that for that, for that that purpose. How could I not? You give me the shot, I'm going to take yeah, it. Yeah, true. I, I, um, I opened myself up for that. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so um, when it... When it comes to, to, to launching that new SIP, that new ISA, that new GIA, please do think about us. We have a sandbox that is currently live and completely free for people to experiment. And you know what? We'd love to just have the conversation to kind of walk you through exactly how we can help you bring your digital world products to life and, and to migrate them onto the latest technology. Great. And, and Anton? Um, yeah. So I guess um, the, the, the innovator's dilemma, I think uh, that there's a book that's written that's, you know, basically maps out how organizations feel that they're secure until they get disrupted. It's a, it's a quiet disruption and it happens all at once. Uh, but I, I believe 
within organizations, there are people who with great ideas who should be given the space to experiment and try out, try out new things. And kind of my, my parting thoughts are go ahead, take risks with your organization, with your, with your an individual within, within an organization, take risks um, and uh, obviously calculated risks. Um, and because, because innovation happens from really, uh, you know, places that you might not expect them to happen, um, especially in wealth management, if you think you can, you can see ways in which um, customers can be served better, segments of the market can be served better, you know, think about them and take, th take those risks. Because now, unlike before, you have the technology that you can get these product out, products out to market. So as, as, as uh, Sri said, you just need to spin up, a, spin up a version of our platform, our sandbox, and off you go, you've got the full infrastructure to build an end-to-end -end wealth management value proposition. And I can't really wait to see how, you know, what kind of experiences we are gonna power for the next generation. And it's gonna be an exciting time um, for, for, for our industry. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to um, seeing what comes out of the market in the next few years. Brilliant, thank you. Look, that was such an interesting conversation. It's always good to hear from people that are doing something new and bringing something to the market that people haven't seen before. Um, I like to think that we did a decent job of talking around the jargon. There are some pretty long words in there, aren't there? And some things that can switch people off. But I think, I think there are also some really useful takeaway points that people can easily digest too. Um, look, Anton, Shri, thank you. Thanks also to Shah Omar, who's helped arrange this. I did threaten to bring her in on this podcast, but I think I'm going to spur her from the cameo. Um, <laughs> it's the polite thing to do. Uh, look, thank you, everyone. Uh, for everyone listening at home, in the office, wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I'm Ian Horn, and this has been The Wealth Tech Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you, Ian. Thanks, Ian.